Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod, live from Greystone Studios, aka my box room. I got my co-host, Mark Baker, out there in Glenageary. Mark Baker, how's it going? How's your day? I am good. I'm good. It's nice and cold, so uh, that's a nice change. Yeah, especially I was in Portugal last week down in the Algarve, and uh, it was about 25, 30 degrees every day. Um, so for me, uh, this is actually really chilly, but um, it was nice and sunny as well, which is maybe my favorite weather, walking around the seafront in Greystones, having a great time. But I digress. We've got our we've got our guest here, Alan Coleman, on the line uh, from Wolfgang Digital. How are you getting on, Alan? Really, Mark. How are you doing? Delighted to be here to chat with you. It's a, it's great to have you here. I was just thinking about this just before you came on there. Um, we had uh, we had somebody from uh, from another marketing agency on last week, and it seems like Mark. Sometimes we get into these kind of runs where we have like two or three kind of same industries, not on purpose uh, <laughs> over a, a few weeks. Um, so it's it's great. We got a warm up last week, and uh, we're looking forward to learning about uh, Wolfgang Digital. Um, so maybe would you mind kind of sharing exactly what the the business is about, and uh, how do you how do you kind of position you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Wolfgang Digital is a performance digital marketing agency. So the performance part means it's all about results. Um, so we did a view that advertising used to speak the language of Mad Men, Madison Avenue, with brand share. Um, this type of language, it now speaks the language of Wall Street, it's a return on investment. Um, so Wolfgang Digital is a, a performance agency, we obsess over the results. Um, for us, so what else can I say to you about us? We're now the largest independent agency in Ireland. Um, cool. So it started like like in a room you're in right now with an idea. Um, and we've now, we're now 60 people and we're making plans to get to 120 um and in that yeah so we've learned a lot we're going going since 2007 was when it started okay and yeah. so the just for context for mark as well because like we we're saying before we started the uh, recording i've worked with a lot of uh marketing agencies over the years in uh in hubspot and the to get to a scale of 120 people that's actually a huge independent um uh, agency that's a that's that's proper scale in the especially i guess in ireland um it does what what was the kind of uh inflection point like you're looking at doubling the the headcount now um mm-hmm. was did you guys get to a point of having x amount of clients and you said okay this is what we want to push on with or how does that how do you make a decision to double in size like that so there's been a couple of kind of inflection points of ambition i'd say where we go all right you know we're onto something here let's go so like the first one was when we were probably three people so very very early days and at this stage we were totally bootstrapped like we had no money we were in a in a hot desk which i'd gotten on a one of these programs in a college so i had free office space and we were working off there was actually there was two of us at this point we were working off hand-me-down laptops for dads and we had a printer room which didn't work it just looked good to have a printer in the room um, and we were in the kind of situation where, like, if if the biro ran out, I went down to Easton's and I bought one more biro. You know, I wasn't weren't buying packs of biros or anything like this. Um, I'd probably just stop delivering pizzas at night uh, to pay the rent. So really, really early doors, totally bootstrap. 
there was an industry awards called the Digital Media Awards. And we'd never entered any awards before. And we said, sure, let's, let's have a go. Now, it cost, it was something like 150 euro for a category. So we were like, okay, well, we're, we're just going to enter two. And we're going to enter this specific one that looks good for us. And then let's just go for the big one. And we went for best agency. Um, so very, uh, very ambitious uh, to be going for that one with our limited budget. Um, but we put the entries together. And as I say, we were speaking very much the language of commercial results. You know, we were saying spend this much money, make this much money. Um, and like we, we love digital marketing. It's the fastest moving industry in the world, in our view. So the entries are very much stories of here's the latest stuff that's happened um, in the last few months. Here's how we've used those new innovations to make money um, for our clients. And on the night, we ended up coming second um, in the best agency category. Wow. So when we realized that, um, I think between entries and attending, there was three of us by the time we got to the ceremony, we were like, oh my God, um, just with our very early clients. And I'm talking about, you know, a dentist in Limerick, um, very, very small businesses. We were already kind of competing with the, the very, very top table. So at that point, we said, let's get really ambitious. And um, we moved from the media cube in IADT to Dublin city center. And um, so we could, we do wider uh, talent pool to, to try and attract in that's cool and so i actually went to iadt uh from oh, yeah so i i had kind of been in that queue before so for those people who don't uh, know it it's kind of like a i guess it's what like a incubator is the wrong word but it's kind of like a cheap uh office space for digital startups type of thing right um that's it yeah and when you were there like did you did they give you kind of any other support or is it literally just a place to plug in a laptop which is you know a good start for uh for any any kind of new business the office was invaluable when the address um on my website and everything moved from um basement office you know yeah. in my gaff to the media cube um all of a sudden the credibility went up so straight away people would do business with me um that wouldn't prior okay so just that alone was great Another brilliant thing was um, I was now in a program that met once a month with 12 other entrepreneurs. Cool. So just to learn from them, like, what do you do when someone's not paying you? Uh, you know, you, yeah. and it's such an awkward situation because at the beginning you're doing everything, aren't you? You know, you're uh, trying to get in the phone or I built a business on spam, actually. Um, there, was, there wasn't HubSpot back then. I just got the golden pages. And um, I used a Google tool, which told me how many searches per month there were for different search terms. So I emailed every solicitor and the headline was simply, Golden Pages is dead. Google's your new best friend. Did you know 12,000 people searched Solicitor Dublin? I'm going to send nice. the emails out. And I built a business. I like I people who I won via spam in 2008 who would have still been clients, you know, wow. uh, 10 years later. It's um, that kind of cold outreach, like I know this is kind of blasphemous when I, when you work for a place like uh, HubSpot that has their annual conference called Inbound uh, and all that type of stuff. But uh, I think that sometimes when I when I think if it's going to be like what you're doing there where it's a targeted business, you're like, I know I can help these guys. I know that they're maybe just relying on word of mouth or the yellow pages. It's uh, like there's a big difference between reaching out to someone that you kind of pre-qualified beforehand. Like I do that all the time. Right now I'm in a kind of uh, acquisition uh, kind of game again uh, and so I've got a very kind of uh, specific type of company that I'm trying to sell to so when I call them I know like they the to trying to get them to listen or, like to write a blog and hope that they re read it 
fill out the form and everything like that. Or I can just call them and tell them what I'm trying to do with, for their business. Yes. I mean, the the return on investment in that kind of very targeted way is is, is very high. Um, but when it gets to the point where um, you, maybe the, your clients don't like know for sure exactly who the their buyers would be, advertising becomes where they can make their impact then. Do you know? So I think there is a room for, for both uh, strategies, especially at the beginning. I think I'm fully behind the whole inbound philosophy. Uh, so we've 60 people, we've zero outbound people. So everything wow. comes in through inbound. Like our basic philosophy is do great work and we know to do great work. That's that's it. Wow. Um, that's why we've got them like obsession with awards because that's, are we are we hitting that and are we are we, are we spreading it? Um, but it's interesting. So you're saying there, so you'll do a bit of outreach yourself, Luke, will you? So I've, I've so this is uh, maybe some inside baseball for uh, people out there. But so I, I work with partners, but I work with the, the kind of enterprise or kind of really big, you know, billion dollar companies we're going for. Very few. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very few of those in the world. When I say oh. few, like there's, it's in the in the hundreds uh, that we're trying to reach. So if I can do cold outreach on uh, LinkedIn or a lot of times like today, I was, I was getting great joy just calling the switchboard and tell them I want to talk to this guy about that. And they're like, that yeah. sounds interesting. I'll put you, put you through. Uh, so it's not not really cold calling because I have a it's it's I wouldn't call it cold calling because it's I know that if they pick up the phone, it's going to be a great deal for them. You know, it's yeah. lukewarm calling, maybe. I think lukewarm calling, yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's what I'd be doing there. But beforehand, when I worked... Uh, can, I ask, can I ask you a question on that, Luke? Sure. Um, so I don't know your space very well, the CRM space. So when you're calling these companies, is it a situation that they're not using the CRM and you're explaining the benefits? Or are they maybe using someone and you're explaining why why uh, your proposition might be better than you? So what I'll do is, uh, like, I, I was calling... Uh, somebody in Israel today, uh, yeah. Because we have a uh, we have a gap in in our our CRM uh, kind of resellers there, um, and we've got lots of c- potential customers that want to work with someone local, but we don't have it. Um, yeah. So when I call them, I'm I'm trying to my my whole pitch is that um, it's not even a pitch. It's just kind of like I think that we can do business together. This is what I think it would look like. These are the resources you'd need to bring to the table to make it a success. Um, and then we can work together on these types of accounts. Um, you know, a lot of the time we'll have customers that are their customers from their case studies or whatever like that, and we can kind of work out that way. Um, so it, it, it's pretty targeted, um, and it's it's kind of everything that I do when I talk to them is like let's work together on something rather than you guys. You know, if they buy uh, a big CRM package off us, yeah, I'll sell it to them. You know, <laughs> and you know I'll get paid on that's fine, but it's not the um, it's not the primary goal, you know. Very good. And so you're not explaining to them what a CRM is or how it works. They probably already have that knowledge. You're kind of telling them what features you have that they mightn't get elsewhere. Is that the case? It's more like, I'll, so I'll know, like say if they're a, like a Microsoft CRM uh, mm-hmm. partner, um, I'll call them and say, you know, our, uh, I know from like, statistically speaking that they're, they're, they pay their consultants, you know, five days a week, but they might be only on projects three days a week. So I'm working on that type of uh, model where there's Slack in your system that we can tap into and you can get a benefit from. Um, so I'm more on the kind of collaboration end of things. Um, so that's kind of, that's, that's that's what I do in my day to day. So with that type of, so just to put that in, in context for like the inbound 
conversation with HubSpot. Mm-hmm. I worked in the Nordics just in direct sales and that was almost complete inbound. People converting, asking for demos. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, and HubSpot is a huge inbound kind of machine, so they could have <laughs> downloaded any type of uh, white paper or you know, we've, and then we, we'd use that as a uh, like a lead scoring as well. So you kind of have a good intelligence about what's happening. So um, yeah, so uh, there's there's room room for both, I think. I'm really interested in this space and the CRM space. As I say, it's not something I know a lot about, but in Wolfgang, we believe that's part of the a central part of the next era of the internet. So are the reasons people are coming to you is for, for CRM? Are they, are they changing or is demand increasing? It's complete. So since, since I started, we were basically a marketing automation uh, platform. HubSpot was mm-hmm. when I started about five years ago. And then we added the, the CRM. So now we're competing with Salesforce and that type of thing. And the the biggest change that's happened, and you can see it in our sales um, kind of inflection over the last kind of the COVID years, uh, now that everyone is distributed, um, it's very difficult to you know manage salespeople, see what they're doing, uh, forecast what they're going to bring in. And I think that that's, that's made a huge, uh, made a huge difference to us. Um, working on a, a deal right now with a, a really big um kind of like a carzone.ie do you know that type of like a you know that type of business yeah. but it's for uh, another country in europe um and they've never had a crm before um and their sales guys have always been in the office calling people selling cars but you know money was coming in so no one really cared but now these guys uh you know they could have another job and like you wouldn't know like the so the control has uh has got down a little bit and i think that the crm especially if it's attached to a like a marketing automation system or um you know uh, connected to what what people are are behaving uh like in it say an app or something that the company has uh and using that kind of contextual information to sell you know a little bit more effectively um you know like the guys i reached out to in israel today i, I knew that a, a few of those guys have been on our website in the last 30 days so at least i know mm-hmm. who we are <laughs> yeah so that's kind of that's that's kind of where where we're at there um but for for you guys uh, this is one of the things that really interests me about the digital marketing space you mentioned when you started it was a maybe just two or three of you guys when you're when, when you get to the point at what point do you get to or maybe how many years were you in business where it was enough to be completely inbound where it's kind of all referrals all um you know you're what would you call it, your kind of reputation that's driving the business for you? Like how long does that take generally? So we had a rebrand. So originally we were called onlineadvertising.ie because uh, that's what you call the business in 2007. And it meant that we were number one on Google in Ireland, brand new search for online advertising. Unfortunately, there was a couple of problems with that. Um, number one was somebody who searched for online advertising doesn't necessarily know what they want. It's very general. So I could be talking to a farmer who loaded topsoil he wanted to sell and he didn't have an email address. Um, and the other was once we started getting media coverage, I'd get on the radio or something like that. Um, no one could remember the name. So someone like some, they might go to and go to internetmarketing.ie. That was someone else. They might go to um, internetadvertising.ie. That was somebody else. So we realized that this generic term we have. So we were beginning to get traction in the media. We were learning the messages that the media liked um, and we were beginning to get traction there. So we said, we need, we need a brand name that's really punchy. 
um, that whether you love it or you hate it, once you've heard it once, you won't forget it. And I agonized over this um, for, it took, I just know it, it probably nearly took a year. I think it was coming up to the 12 month point where I was there. I just need to make a decision. And we had all these awful names with Shatterbox Marketing, Big Mouth Media, We'd fat cop advertising, fat cop, because it was like directing traffic and <laughs> um, terrible names. And then um, I came into the office one day and our goldfish, our office goldfish had vanished, um, committed suicide, jumped out of the bowl, flapped <laughs> down. And um, I called the goldfish Wolfgang just because it was the coolest fucking name I could think of. Like no baggage, just coolest fucking name. It's only a goldfish, Wolfgang. And then I was like, I was coming into the office in agony over this identity crisis. And um, I was like, oh, I think Wolfgang gave himself up. You know, it's a sign. Uh, he gave himself up to, to have the agency named after him. So on that, in, in that moment, is there Wolfgang. And it was Marmite. Some people loved it. Some people hate it. They're making a terrible mistake here. It's too aggressive and stuff. Um, but we went with it and it's worked. You know, it's once, once people hear it, they remember it. And it's, it's very much ours. It really, I think it really does. And I, I like, like it's very, it makes an impact on you. Like I said, it's you can you remember, like when Mark mentioned that were coming on, and never, I was never like, oh, what, what was that again? Mm -hmm. When I was looking for the website, I knew exactly. And it's in memoriam of that, uh, of of your of your pet. So I think that's you know it ties in a little bit there as well. I've completely forgotten the first name, the original name as well that you said. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Fat cop. Well, there you go. So I, was like, <laughs> I like that one though. <laughs> Case in yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we attempted to, to use a fish as, as a logo to uh, to commemorate and really throw people off. You know, um, the designer I went to, the logo designer, loved the story of the fish. And he had all these Japanese versions of it. And I was there, man, it's W. I love W. And like World Wide Web, also Volkswagen or, you know, pioneers in advertising. Um, so there's the nod to that. Um and it's just such a strong uh, logo. So he did me a W in a circle with a real bold Wolfgang, and I was there. I, I love it. That's it. So I think it's a great name. And so when you, one of the things that I I think about when I think about digital marketing as well, there's kind of different ways to uh, to kind of run the business. So I on my other podcast, I speak to a lot of uh, marketing agencies, and um, some of them are doing like uh, technical product projects with uh, software. Um, some of them are doing um like retainer like creative retainers so you know uh for camp long-term campaigns that type of thing um it seems from your website you guys are really focused on that uh you know showing the roi like an investment uh, for these people and it's a lot of it's based on the uh the advertising seo and stuff like that is that where is, is that the kind of business model for you guys is they give you x you give them y and then you keep z i don't i don't know how that actually works what's the <laughs> What's, what's the I setup like? So I know, I know what you mean. So yeah, we're very much, the first line in every report is you spent this much, your revenue was this, your profit was this. So our favorite metric is return on ad spend. Um, and until a report or an interaction is talking about return on ad spend, it's incomplete. Everything else is the story of how it was arrived at. So we're very, very focused on that. Do we do, like, so if you're talking about there is kind of like, sometimes people will charge based on the uplift okay is, is that what you're asking me yeah i just i just want to know how you guys kind of how, what the business model is is it kind of uh, like a monthly okay yeah so the monthly so for us it's it's like it's compound interest you know it's getting smarter month on month on month on month 
So typically when we're doing our best work and we're winning international awards for clients, it's year two or it's year three or year four. So we're accumulating lots and lots of knowledge. What we often do is we'll go in with maybe a single service. We'll say, let us just show you success with Google ads. And then typically, you know, in three months, you know, we could have put 30%, we could have put 300%. And then we'll say, based on the data, the logical next step is for us to do some paid social media. And then we'll be able to take it on further. And then down the road, we might be bringing in conversion rate optimization or SEO, which is a larger investment. But if we've just made it a really good return over the first 12 months, you're much more comfortable to make the much larger investment. Yeah. So it's very much ongoing, always on, always on. And when, once we have clients, we've, we're, you know, we tend to keep them like that. That's how we've grown. We've zeroed that. Zero outside investment. Wow. It's just, all, it's all happy clients. Yeah, in the early days, I had to do take loans and that but um and then when we started so early days just to get started i took a loan i went to the bank they tried to dissuade me from starting a business really they were like it's very hard there's a global you too mark yeah, yeah. yeah. what did they what did they say to you take um, a hike mark was it or was the... they wanted to see i look i'd love to talk to them now and prove <laughs> them wrong uh, three yeah. years later but um yeah. they wanted to see proof of i think it was uh, client lists and lots of stuff like that and and sure i couldn't do that with a, with a non-compete i can't do anything for three months mm. do you know what i mean like but i can guarantee this and that and yeah they weren't they just weren't you know back and brave as they said they, they really weren't <laughs> you know and if i felt like unless I, I was putting up some sort of asset some sort of property against this business yeah. they didn't want to know yeah. both of the pillar banks yeah, yeah. so uh had to work around that yeah, yeah, so I had a similar story. Um, it ended up in a student loan to do digital marketing. Wow. Uh, they got me the money. Um, and yeah, they were really reluctant to uh, to give me the money. Uh, but we did that, started the business and kind of delivering pizzas at night and just letting the, the business build up cash reserves for a year. And then it was after we, we had that award when we decided to get ambitious that I took out a second loan. By that time, I paid the first one back, took out a second loan. And that was probably payback. We're going 14 years now. I say that was payback seven or eight years ago. And since then, it's just happy clients paying on time. Uh, and uh, that's how we've grown organically um, to be to the size of 60 people. That's incredible. And then you're going to go to 120. Like, there's very few businesses out there that could you know, bootstrap like that, I guess. Over, when it, 14 years, it's not a overnight, uh, an overnight thing, but... Um, still super impressive, especially what I like about the your your take on this is, um, and what has scared me about uh, like so I've worked with partners for a long time in, in HubSpot, and a lot of them are um, like say CRM uh, project uh, consultants. So they you know they sell a, a project could go on for six months, could go on for a year, you know, um, but at the end of the day they kind of hand over the keys and it's kind of done, and it kind of scares me that type of business because. What about next year? What about the year after? There's not like you, you can kind of go back and sell some services, but it's not that type of uh, that type of business where you can say, okay, four years from now, that's when we really start to really get going on this. Do you know, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. So the, the, the value of the always on model is the digital marketing industry is the fastest moving industry in the world. Okay, like you can like you can go to the I used to do like a account, you know, at the end of every year I go, how many Google ad innovations were released this year? And often you see every second week there was something new you could do within Google ads. 
Uh, Facebook wouldn't be as fast, but it would still be every month. And when you think of consider search engine optimization, like those algorithms have been tweaked every day. So the, the, the industry we're in, like I, I really love it. And what's presented this brilliant opportunity for Wolfgang Digital is it's the fastest moving industry in the world. And we've turned that into a virtue of ours in that like, we love that we commit time. So most professional services companies would expect their people to bill about 120 hours a month. So that's about 30 hours a week. So it's like, yeah, bill 30 hours a week, 10 hours, you know, just admin. Yeah. And that's what most people expect. We expect people to bill 100 hours a month, so 25 a week. And we put the extra hours into upskilling. Okay. So we've developed this internal kind of peer-to-peer learning system. And I'd say that's the difference. You know, the, 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 narrow it down and oversimplify it to like, what's the core difference? How have we gotten to being Ireland's largest independent um, as opposed to other people? It's we have a bigger investment in ongoing learning than other people. So like in, in some ways, sometimes I'll say the, the digital marketing campaigns are actually a byproduct of our core activity. Our core activity is making great digital marketers. Wow. And if we make great digital marketers, they do the great works, then we've happy clients. And then the kind of the growth is, you could almost say a growth, the growth is a byproduct of the byproduct of making great digital marketers. That's fabulous. And people want to grow in their jobs as well. And it's one thing that when I talk to people, if they're not kind of, if you're not advancing your you're dying you know you want to be able to grow all the time so if you guys give them the opportunity there it also makes things a little bit sticky for them i guess um you know it's the 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 talent thing i know before we started we were all talking about recruitment and stuff like that it's uh it, it seems like it's it's there maybe because of the covid stuff where everyone's online now it's just everyone who's good can get a you know can apply for a job somewhere further than they would usually like you know so it's making it more difficult but i was talking to a uh a, a partner in uh, Europe and they, they have a real innovative way of managing that as well. Just when you're talking about that, it uh, came to mind. They were really struggling to find uh, technical consultants. Um, so now they just take on 20 every year out of college as like apprentices and they sit them beside whoever they want to double um, and they pay them a wage and then that's how they, so they have like a farm of, they don't yeah. hire outside at all. So all of these, all their managers and stuff are like 22, 23 because they've been there f- yeah. since they're 18. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they said it's a like, you know, very cost effective way. Everyone's growing. They get crazy experience really early in their career. Um, but it just, I think people, you know, will start thinking outside the box because uh, like Mark's saying that, I know Mark's in recruitment, so it's good, uh, good for Mark, but um, it's tough out there. Yeah, it's a real transitionary time, isn't it? Um, like how how what percentage of the workforce will remain remote, um, and what what, what that, that's remote? Like I think what, the veil has been lifted at the beginning of this. A lot of companies were saying, "Hey, we value your independence. You can work from anywhere in the world for the rest of your career because you know you're in your autonomy is such a core value to us." And there was truth in that. But the other thing was, hey, like on at board level, they're saying we can reduce our wage bill quite substantially if um, we're not paying Dublin wages, if a mix of that is yeah. now, you know, lower cost destinations. So I think that's the really interesting thing that's happening now. Um, so I worked in Dell in the at the turn of the century selling computers and a similar thing happened, like same, same, but different. Um, I was selling computers into the UK market. They opened up a call center in India. Now, the Irish call centre would sell far more computers um, per person per day than the Indian call centre. 
but the Indian coal centre's wage was 10%. Wow. So you just can't outsell those economics. And what happened over the next decade is you could just see like all our perks and packages and bonuses just like, you know, and it's the only way. That's just economics. That's just globalization. So I think it was, and Dell at that time, by the way, was the largest employer in Ireland and it's wow. more close now. So when Facebook um, and Twitter say you can work from wherever you want and we're going to adjust your salary based on where you are, like they do care about your autonomy and empowerment, but the business reason they're doing that is to reduce their wage bill. So I wonder what Dublin's going to look like in five years because if, if I'm somebody who's working in Facebook and there's someone doing the same job as me for less money somewhere else, my long-term prospects just got damaged. Yeah. Um, so we're in a really interesting point now. So at Wolfgang Digital, we're back in Dublin. You know, we've, we've looked at this and there's definitely lots of pain um, in, in hiring here, but we believe there's great talent here and we're building the office around or our work around that. So while we'll still have hybrid, we'll still have like days at home. Um, we had it before, by the way. Um, it, we got feed, we do feedback called You're the CEO. So people get an opportunity to say, if I was in charge, you know, stop, start, continue. And um, flexi time came up. People wanted flexible hours. So we tested it. It worked. Then the next thing was remote working. We're like, whoa, uncomfortable with that. But we trust you. The flexi time worked. Let's test it. And it worked. Um, so we were doing those things. But what we learned was that, um, like, Autonomy is really important to us. Like family life is, is important. All the health benefits, society benefits that come with it are great. So that's important. So we do want to keep some of that. We just found that mastery, like the, the, the learning by direction, like you just described, you sit beside someone and they show you, yeah. can't be done remotely, but also learning by osmosis, just by being around really skilled people, hearing them on the phone, like Mark, you know, you, if you hired some new people, you'd want them hearing you and your senior people here's how we talk to candidates here's yeah. how we talk to 100 you know and that's exactly the number one thing almost verbatim that i talk about when i when i talk about us hiring it's yeah. the little things i can't even describe the things that you'll pick up from the likes of me and my business partner and the more senior guys yeah it's hard even to, to describe it but it but it's real and look we do we are remote at the moment but we do as we want to grow as well so we will have to have an office for that reason only. And also just to have a team. It's very hard to have a team that is spread all around the country. Is that really a team? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what do you think a, theme, a team is? Um, uh, like uh, staff retention is obviously going to suffer big time. Like, I wouldn't blame people for starting a job and, you know, eight months later, they're just like, oh, I'll see what else is out there. Not really not really having this. I don't, you don't yeah. feel a part of it. People need to feel a part of something. Yeah. And that can work both ways. I'm confident that people would like to feel a part of us because we're good people and we do good things. And, you know, but then sometimes people really wouldn't want to be a part of, of a company. So some companies are better off having people working around the place. But that that shouldn't be the, the thinking. Um, yeah, I definitely think to, to build a company for sure. I could, I could probably sustain a, a six-person, seven-person, recruitment business remotely mm -hmm. perfectly fine actually and, and we have but uh and above that i think there is a there's certainly a limit where you, you need an office you need a base it's, you know do you know what people i think i just had this thought there that you know and people are kind of miss out on a lot of uh you know this might be kind of a soft thing but uh you know like mentorship or 
that type of like like uh you said uh, alan about the learning by osmosis where for two years in hubspot for just because of the seat uh assignments i was sitting in a corner with the vp of sales for for europe so every day i'm just sitting around watching how he deals with people how he kind of delegates stuff um how he kind of gets ready for meetings if i'm sitting at home i'm not getting any of that and that wasn't part of my job but i think i did benefit from being around uh, those conversations that he was having, hearing him on the phone, um, do you know that kind of way. And I just think that, especially if you're early in your career, mm. it's those little things that you're kind of missing out on. I know it's great not uh, not having to do the commute thing and all that all that stuff, but um, I think there's definitely there's pluses and minuses for sure. Also, how can you uh, you can only like uh, <laughs> you can only stand out so much. Uh, you know, just with whatever numbers you bring in, I guess, or productivity, it's very difficult to, you know, show people, you know, how uh, valuable you are to your team just outside your job. Joe? And it all, it all, it's all comes down to what the values of the company are. So for what we're discussing here, it's obvious to us that, that learning is a really important value. But if you're in a industry where it's a race to the bottom, um, you know, and you just have to be cheaper than the next guy, then, then that's more mission critical for you to lower your, your your wage bill or your average cost per person. So you might say, yeah. look, it's great when there's, you know, culture is important to us, but if we're not the cheapest person selling a bag of carrots today, uh, Granny isn't buying the bag of carrots. So, you know, so it's different for every business, um, how, how, however it might work. Um, but like the, we've got cultural pillars, um, you know, mastery is number one. It's, you'd be the master of your craft here. Crack is number two. You're going to make new friends and have a lot of fun. Like autonomy is in there. We want to empower people. That's why we've lots of feedback. That's why we'll reshape how we work based on feedback. So autonomy is in there. We want to speak to that. Um, but our mastery and our crack pillars are so strong and central to what we're doing that we're like, okay, you know, we we, we have to index high on, on those or we stop being who we are. You know, it gets eroded over time. But I totally, I totally get it if you're, um, you know, maybe the skill set is something that works in isolation. You know, there's certain skill sets like developers, they come in, they put the headphones on. Yeah. They don't, they're not that social. They're not necessarily people's people anyway. So they might as well be at home. And then you might as well be using people in Ukraine that are half the price. Um, That's a scary so thing. You no, know, it's, it's courses for courses. But I guess the key thing is for the business to understand what its values are and what it's trying to optimize for. It's uh, such an interesting thing. But like, so to switch gears here uh, a little bit, you mentioned that you're, like you're going to 120 people and your focus on Dublin is great talent here. You want to develop that ta- talent. What's the, is is Ireland uh, a big enough market to sustain that type of growth in the long term? Is a lot of your customers now in the UK or Europe or wherever? How does that, how does that kind of uh, fit into the business? Great question. So, we love international business. We kind of got to a point we Google named us their um, best search partner and their best shopping partner in EMEA. Wow. Um, at their most recent uh, EMEA Partner Awards. So it's, there's only four awards on the night and we won two of them. Wow. Like there's over 500 agencies from half the planet. Amazing. So um, we were over the moon with that and our international client base really took off after that. So we're probably doing 20% um of our revenue is internationally and that's happened inbound uh nice. you'll be glad to hear that's like awards studies that that type of thing um but having said that right and, and i do believe now that the way the world has moved a bit more remote is just like you're more accustomed to working with a colleague who's 
far away, um, I think you're more likely to hire a service provider who's far away. So we've been winning uh, clients in New Zealand, um, you know, Can't get further. And Iceland and, and this. So they're just, it's, it's, it's lubricated international trade, you know, remote working. But that, that's happening. But having said that, in Ireland, it's still a billion euro advertising market, you know. Um, like, so if I go back to those early days when I was spamming people from the media cube, like my message was there's this thing called Google. <laughs> it's going to be really important to your business. Um, so that was our big bet um, in 2007 was this Google thing is going to become pretty important to your business. And it's become what the fifth biggest depends what day or week it is fifth biggest company in the world fourth biggest company yeah. in the world um and there's no signs of that abating so in ireland we're now in a situation where more than half of ad, ad spend is um is online okay. and when it comes to like technology loves a monopoly you know it just network effects Sucks all get sucked in it's it's like two-thirds of that is google and facebook so there's still loads of upside for us here in ireland but it's very exciting to do international work and we, we, we expect that our, our international portfolio will, will continue to increase. And Alan, Alan, do you feel like Ireland is kind of at the cutting, at the edge of this? Like, is, is the, you know, are, are we kind of lagging behind, you know? Oh, so the industry, the digital marketing industry, I, I've been saying for years that we're punching way above our weight. Um, so what I would point to there is I just look at awards I, where we've a golem like obsession with awards. We <laughs> use them as a barometer for who's good and all of that. At, and um, if you look at European awards, um, like if you look at the European search awards, European social awards, there'll be a lot of Irish agencies and a couple of independents. There'll be us, there'll be some other independents and, and some big networks as well will be very prominent in the shortlists and will tend to win, will tend to win like, um, we won best large integrated agency in Europe two years in the trot. Only people who've ever retained it. And there was other Irish agencies in that shortlist as well. So I think the talents, we've got a lot of multinationals based here. A lot of people travel to Dublin um, to work. So when I say that, that there's great talent in Dublin, I'm not speaking about Irish people. Like half our workforce is international. Um, Mexicans, Croatians, uh. Greek, Dutch, um loads of indians all of a sudden and like they're all fantastic they bring such such diversity and and crack to the office every monday morning we say we have a group area and um originally we were just saying hi in someone else's language every monday so like greek calimera um croatian fuck um italian buongiorno so every monday was someone else and then we kind of done everyone two or three times they're like after you know how to say hello, the next most important thing is how to curse. So we've been every Monday morning. Now we learn another curse uh, in a in a foreign language to start the week. So nice. it's a bit of crack. Um, I think um, we have a value of being bold is important. Being bold has been brave, but also has been a bit naughty. Is makes life a bit more interesting and allows you to be yourself in work, um, which is which is really important. I believe. Good, Mark. Sorry, Luke, you're going to say something. There. Go for it, Mark. So just like a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of hard work I'm sure has gone into it, you know, and, and being a, apologies, being a, let me turn that off. Shit. Um, being an entrepreneur myself, like it's, it's, it's a tough slog. Like I feel, I do feel at times that I'm built differently to, to other people. And sometimes I get jealous and think, oh, geez, I wouldn't mind, 
just having a nine to five and just being happy with that, you know, instead of being a a stressed out entrepreneur all the time, were you, do you think you were always an entrepreneur, a born entrepreneur almost or built? Oh, good question. Um, So for me, like, I think one of the most exciting things you can do in your life is build brands and build businesses. You know, I get a real thrill. I can remember those early days driving home from the media cube, Luke, and I'd be punching the roof of my car, like, because I'd gotten a response to my spam. And I was beating something extra. And I was like, I can't believe this is really happening. Um, this Google thing's really going to happen. And people are going to pay me to do it for them. Um, so I find it really thrilling. Um, I've never had a nine to five for more than, I don't know, six months, seven months. And um, this is probably my seventh. I just get bored. As soon as I feel I'm stopped learning, um, I'll get bored and check out. Um this is probably my seventh business. Like if I count like my door-to-door businesses when I was in college, you know, my stall at BlackRock Market when I was in sixth year. Um, yeah, I'd say I've always been, since a teenager, uh, I started this at 27, right through to that, I'd always have a go at something, you know, it would fall flat on its face instantly or it might get far enough for me to fuck up and learn something. Um, and I'd say the collection of those Things I tried meant I learned the value of creating a queue. I learned the value of a business. I had a business where um, I had loads of customers. I was working from 4 a.m. till 4 p.m. And I was making break even because I got my pricing wrong. You know, so I'd learned, you know, there's a number of mistakes every entrepreneur needs to learn. Can't learn them in college. Yeah. Can't, you just, you just, you just got to go out and make those mistakes and, and figure it out. Um so yeah, it's always been, I've always wanted to have a business is always really interested in advertising. Actually. Um, I know all the stress you speak about there, but my kind of, my dream, my vision would be for there to be multiple Wolfgang enterprises. And we've two now actually. Um, but that's like, so when I was young, I was really inspired by Richard Branson and how he kind of created this cult brand and he could apply, find an industry that was, you know, big ogres, you know, fucking over customers and he'd apply his virgin thing to bring value to the market. So I love that. More recently, like Amazon, what Jeff Bezos has done there, it's just like, and I don't think people speak about him as much as an entrepreneur, but it's the most entrepreneurial organization out there. Like they're the most dominant in e-commerce, in cloud computing. Like they're getting into advertising now. Um, they're getting into healthcare. So they're just so good at identifying, oh, we have an unfair advantage in this other industry based on our success here and and stepping in there. Um, Yeah, so I think building business is the most exciting thing you can do. Um, Totally dependent on other people. I'm really privileged to the team I have. My board of directors are all among my first six hires are now running the company. Um, Yeah, really privileged. We have really great, great people who... um, like there was a point where I was very active in the day-to-day driving of the business. Um, that's not so much. I'd be a little bit more long-term thinking now. Um, there's other people who are re- who are the engine of this business now, so I can I can start at the time of the ones that we, we might be able to develop. Very good. And uh, as a, a natural kind of entrepreneur, like do you do you still, even though you're so busy doing what you're doing, do you ever still look at other industries or other have other business ideas and just think? You know, I just, I wouldn't mind having a look at that. Yeah, so I'll tell you. So um, 
But the fun one that you want to hear about is the sex shop. So I'll tell you about that first and then I'll tell you about the courage one. I, I hadn't got that one in mind. I was trying to work distracted by sex I was, shops. But, I was uh, trying to work in the sex shop things between advertising and inbound and you know all that stuff. Because we talked about that for, the, tell the people out there in uh, Shark Nation, what's the sex shop stuff? Tell sex shop stuff. So back in twenty twelve, um the four hour work week by Timothy Ferris was a bestseller. Um, and everybody was really interested in this notion of, you know, setting up an automated business. If you could get the marketing bit right and find a good dropshipper, you could be selling product all over the world. And uh, this idea. So we, we, we were really interested in this idea. A lot of our clients were e-commerce businesses. So we said, look, we should walk a mile in our clients' shoes. We should become our own customer. We should set up a website, redo the, the marketing for it and uh, feel all the pain points our customers feel geez, we might make a few quid. We'll, we'll definitely learn something. We'll get closer to our customers, our clients at least. Um, so we looked at a couple of different things we could sell. We had a criteria, you know, average transaction volume, search value, competitive index, propensity to buy online. And we looked at uh, iPhone cases, kids' toys, sex toys. Um, and sex toys just ticked all the boxes. So we're like, all right, let's do it. Um, what year was this on? I'm going to say 2012. Um, yeah, 2012. There, thereabouts. So this is private. We weren't going to tell anyone because we, we didn't know if our clients would like it or not. Um, so we found a dropshipper in the UK who, so the way dropshipping works, just in case any of your listeners don't know, is it's like a wholesaler, but they'll do the delivery. You send them one order to a factory and the factory will fulfill that one order to your customer. Um, so we found a drop shipper who had an extensive catalog of sex toys. And then we stuck together a Shopify website and um, started advertising it. And we went from like idea to selling our first dildo in two weeks. Wow. And like, the, yeah, yeah. Well, we there's, sold there's that a first sentence. dildo to, yeah. Yeah, to um, a lady in County Clare. Wow. And um, like the high fives in the office, we couldn't believe it. This is amazing. We went from thinking it criteria to selling product, which we'll never see um, someone over there. And that's in 2012. Like imagine like e-commerce has come on a lot since then as well. Like so two weeks, that's a great turnaround back then. Yeah. And it was turning over like without too much work. So it was a kind of, so what we did then is when new people started in Wolfgang, uh, they were put on the sex toy shop. So if they were new, we didn't want to necessarily let them run wild on a client account without too much supervision. But there we'd say you have a thousand euro a week. Yeah. You know, just try and turn that into four thousand euro worth of uh, dildo sales. Okay. Um, that's that's the target and just go for your life. So, so four, so ex, much four X return is what we're looking for for on the dildo. Yeah, that'd be a really good return yeah. on ad spend for a retailer. Yeah. Wow. So um they'd make loads of mistakes, but they'd learn really fast. It was loads of fun. Like you're really engaged when you're selling anal balls and yeah. cock rings yeah. and yeah. dildos, and you're you're looking at search terms and might not copy. <laughs> So it really gave people great exposure to being a business owner almost, like just spend the grand best. Um, we then got some customer feedback that our conversion rate was awful. It was like 50% or something. Uh, so we got some feedback that we needed to put like our address and our phone number on it because we just looked like this random website and we're like, oh, we're trying to be private here, but we did it. Um, but now we had a phone. And um, so every day it was someone else's turn, the sex line moved around the office okay. and the queue would have comical uh, com every time it rang it would be oh <laughs> where you'd be listening in 
and it could be all sorts you like people ringing in the moment for help with a toy okay and people standing outside i'm looking for the shop and we're like we don't have a shop is there i see your address and we're like go away yeah. you know we don't Pulling want the landlord the to know <laughs> we don't know the landlord thinks it's a digital marketing agency <laughs> we've got men in anorak standing outside <laughs> trying to get in um so a lot of fun it was around about the time of 50 shades of gray so all of a sudden uh, we, like the irish independence <laughs> hot press contacting us saying you know this book is off the chart selling more copies than the bible like you know, can you tell us about it? Um, so one of the, the lads, Brendan, he's now the MD. He started as a trainee. Um, this was his first project was setting yeah. up a sex shop. Yeah. And um, he'd be fielding, he'd be getting quoted in like the Irish Independent as the sexpert in okay. the sexshop.ie. He'd left a good engineering job and all his <laughs> colleagues are seeing it in the paper as a sexpert. Just... Um, but that in, in that we learned, like we learned about the value of, PR, you know, is when you when when a story is hot, you know, if you can provide some useful information. So we started um, like doing infographics um, and measuring all the counties of Ireland and what their favourite sex toy was and turning it into infographic, and then it blows up and it would go viral and that, and then that's getting quoted. So for us, it was a brilliant learning experience in in PR. Um, we were losing money, like we were making sales but losing money, so we needed to either increase our conversion rate, which we struggled to do, or increase our average transaction value. So we started bundling sex toys together. And come Christmas, we were doing sex toy hampers. And so we we believe we solved the world's first sex toy hamper. Okay. Um, so it was a forum for innovation as well. We had huge problems with payments, online payments. Like um, it was just, Mark, like your experience setting up a business bank account like going to them to try and process. And then when it's a sex toy shop, they're, Ooh. so that was really, really painful. Then we finally got set up and um, we'd get the dreaded fraud letter. Somebody would contact us, make a purchase, receive the delivery, and then tell Ring Up MasterCard, oh, I didn't order that. And MasterCard yeah, would say, we're not backs. paying you that money. And we're like, well, we paid the advertising. We had an interaction with them via email and we delivered it to them. Um, yeah, we're, we're out of pocket. Um, so that was a learning experience. And that's why I was at South by Southwest in 2015. And they were talking about like how payments are fucked and, and e-commerce companies need to get into this thing called cryptocurrency. Um, so in 2015, we became the world's first sex toy shop that accepted Bitcoin. And <laughs> um, now no one ever bought anything with Bitcoin. Um, but it brought us into that area as well. Bitcoin were Joro back then so we were uh, getting exposure to that so as a side project I guess like this is your side project this podcast and I'm sure you've loads of stories of like curious ways it's actually been really interesting and learning so we found through the sex shop side project never made any money it was brilliant training ground for our people we learned a lot about what it's like to be an e-commerce retailer we learned a lot about um, creating stories that the press are going to to cover and um, and we got into Bitcoin uh, really, really early as well. Nice. So it was a really rewarding side project. Um, we came out of the closet, so to speak. I wrote a blog post to say, um, look, we've been doing this behind the scenes for three years now, but we've so many funny stories. Um, we need to start sharing them. And it got covered by The Guardian. Um, wow. The headline was, 
why every set, why every digital advertising agency should run a sex toy shop. Slayers. <laughs> and so with that, with, one of the things that kind of sparked my mind there when you said the conversion wasn't great and also there were some issues with uh, the fraud stuff. I used to work for a payment uh, software company in Canada. So that kind of chargeback thing, everyone is, you know, afraid of that. And uh, we would take on uh, kind of more, some more dodgy um, industries as kind of a higher risk and we charge more for it. And it was, we kind of had a niche for that. But mm. what do you, so with all the experience that you, you have, if you were to like, what, what converts the best when it comes to e-commerce? Is it like an insurance company? Is it a, you know, what, what's the, is there one that stands out and says, yeah, if you get the advertising right, people actually buy that. Yeah. So the, our, our latest side project probably is the highest conversion rate of we've over a hundred clients and um, they're not all e-commerce name, but the majority are. Highest conversion rate we have. Oh, I'm giving away the secrets here. Um, is our Wolfgang Reforest project? Um, so a couple of years ago, how did this happen? Um, how are we for time? Do you want the, the long story or the, the nutshell edition? Whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with, we're all good. Ah, all right, last story. So a couple of years ago, I went down to a four day week. Um, I just burnt out. I'd probably been doing it a uh, long time and forgotten how to relax so um i was given advice that you can kind of this can keep happening to you periodically or you can make some significant life change and and this is just something that happens to you once um so i said well what about a four-day week and the person said that'll do it and the amazing thing i learned in that one day is i, I didn't know how to relax anymore like i go to it'd be summer i go to the beach i'd have my phone a magazine a book sit down i'd open the book read a page put it down and free around my phone, put it down, get in the water, get out of the water, uh, dig up, move my towel somewhere else. And I just, I didn't know how to relax. So um, it was really valuable for me to, to to learn how to sit still again. And then in sitting still, um, I got interested in trees. And so fastest moving industry in the world is, is digital marketing. Slowest moving industry in the world is forests <laughs> and plant trees. So I ended up, taking a walk. I was inspired by a radio show, Manchon McGann, um, espousing the wonders of Ireland's remaining ancient oak woods. So I, cause I had a four day week, I had a day where I just followed curiosities um, heard the show, hopped in the car, drove down to Tunnelfin Oak in Wicklow. And I was just enchanted. I said, this place is absolutely amazing. Um, it's the oldest coppiced oak woods in Europe, actually. And um, I said, how cool would it be to like start growing this, expanding the footprint of Tumnafuinog again. Um, so I went back to the office and I said to everyone, what would you think of putting a percentage of, so we'd like lots of businesses do, we've kind of charities at a quarter and stuff. And I said, um, what would you think of having, rather than a charity at a quarter, we take half of the money and support something forevermore. Um, and I'd, I'd love for us to be reforesting Ireland. And everyone loved the idea. So we started putting money in a kitty in 2017, 2016. And um, by 2019, we'd enough to buy, buy land very near to So we bought 10 acres. Nice. Um, we started foresting it. Then we said, sure, let's lash a website together and see if we can, um, if the Irish public want to support us um, by gifting trees or, or subscribing. So we plant the tree every month on our behalf. And um, yeah, within five months, it had turned over over 100 grand. Um, oh. So the appetite now was Christmas was huge for us last Christmas. Um, so the appetite was there. So we've just gone just last week and bought another plot three times the size. So we now have 50 acres in Wicklow. So 
that ancient oak wood that I was telling you about, Tumna oak, we now have land that's the equivalent of a third of that. That's going to be a third bigger um, based on our reforestation efforts. So that's been getting smaller for centuries, like deforested, deforested, deforested. In the 1980s, they're about to uh, clear fell the final part. And like the locals, the hothouse flowers, U2 and Charlie Hoy, <laughs> bandwagon, came together to stop it being um, chopped down. So getting smaller for hundreds of years to the 80s and now it's going to get 30% bigger uh, based on, on what we're doing there. It's it's an amazing place. I was only there uh, for the first time. I live in Wicklow, but uh, the it was there for the first time uh, yeah, a couple of weeks or four really? weeks ago or something. Yeah, And it is a magical place. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know. It's it, I don't think I've been anywhere quite as uh, diverse uh, in foliage <laughs> in Ireland. Mm, These big, yeah. huge oaks that you just want to like hug, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> Mark's laughing. They're, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, they're 350 years old. Like if you think yeah. of it, there were still wolves walking around when they were growing up, you know? Yeah. Um, unbelievable. That's a great thing. It's, it's it's not the first person on the podcast to take some time off and then get into forestry, Mark. Is it? Remember... Uh, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Houghton, a guy. Um, he actually he's ended his podcast now because it was taking up too much of his time. But um, he basically did a kind of a kind of four hour work week, or you know, he tried to he tried a mini retirement where he's only working very much part time uh, because mm-hmm. he was making so much uh, doing what he was doing, and then uh, he ended up starting a uh, it was like a, a forestry collective mark. Is that what it was something like that? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. But the, he's the after ne- yeah. He's, Again, so now he's even more busy running this uh, this forestry project. But um, oh, yes, it sounds like if you if you go to these places, it it's like changes your life or something. Like that. Kind of. <laughs> What's that, Mark? It feels like if you go to these kind of forests that you get hypnotized or something. You know? Mark? Yeah. Well, me and Mark are going to go there with our kids there uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll take it from there. But we we do have one more question for you, Alan, on the shark pod. Would you prefer yeah. a shark pod T-shirt or a shark pod mug? Oh, mug would be brilliant. Thank yeah. you very much. We'll get we'll get a mug out to you, and uh, sometimes Mark can fiddle around with the um, thing. We might be able to put a fish or a well, a W <laughs> on it. We'll figure it out. Uh, Alan, thanks so or much. Or a dildo. For, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep the Excellent. dildos and anal beads for next time. But thanks very much for uh, that's our follow up. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Shark Pod tonight, and uh, it's been great. Best of luck with the with the growth of the business. Sounds like it's about to explode, double the size, and uh, good luck with the trees. Thanks, Thanks, Alan. Pleasure, Mark.